This is the Stay Healthy Experience. I'm Robert Ferguson, and I have co-host Miss Barbara, aka BK Chris. Hey. And the man who is not here, who is missing out on the experience, is Mr. Daniel Baldwin. Yes. Daniel, we uh, love you. He's doing a pilot right now, by the way. I know. I saw. Um, which I believe will get picked up because he's mm-hmm. a really good actor. Yes. Um, but he's not the kind of guy that shows up all the time. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So we do miss him, and a uh, big shout out to Mr. Daniel Baldwin. Absolutely. But today really is a special day for me. Because we have a dear friend, uh, Graciela Casillas, mm-hmm. in the studio. Yes. Who is, as I told you. I mean. Because she told me when she first met you briefly. Mm-hmm. She says, oh, I met Adam's sister, Graciela. I go, no, that's, that. <laughs> no, you, you're saying that totally wrong. <laughs> I go, it's not Adam's sister. It's that's like, her brother. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Graciela Casillas is the mm-hmm. real deal. And so thank you for being here. Yes, thank, thank it's you. It's to be here. And people in the 805 area code where we reside and where this studio is, mm-hmm. Ventura County, have, well, I know they have an idea. I mean, you're in the, the, the Hall of Fame in this area, but they don't realize. It's like having Merrill Street living down the street. For sure. You know, it's like having, you know, the Tyler Perry opening a studio in your backyard. Mm-hmm. That's how I see you. I mean, Yes. So so let's go back so that the people who are meeting you for the very first time get somewhat of an idea of why I'm so excited about it. Yeah, uh, me too. And people who watch the show know that I've been a martial arts since I was five. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to spend quality time with the best of the best mm-hmm. over the years, which they all know Graciela and she's probably trained with all of them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what got you into the martial arts? Gee, well, it started in the early 70s. Um, I was living in Oxnard. I moved here when I was 10 years old from the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I come from a very traditional Latino family, which, you know, I grew up with eight brothers, two uh-huh. sisters. So my parents were pretty strict. But we often went to the church in the Colonia because my parents didn't speak English. And it was one of the few places where you could go to Mass and it was in Spanish. Yeah. So I, I was part of a youth group there. And Father Ale- Alejandro Burciaga, who was the leader at that time there, um, had come to the parents and said, what do you think about, you know, a self-defense class for the kids? Wow. And we were like, yeah, great. So so he brought an instructor named Juan Gonzalez, who was teaching Taekwondo. And I started there in the church. We actually, you know, it was, it was Cristo Rey Church. I don't think it's even open anymore, uh-huh. but they had these rooms off to the side. And, and that's where we trained. So that class went on for about a year. And little by little, everybody dropped off. Now, as I said, I come from a strict family. So when I did sign up, I signed up with three of my brothers. Uh-huh. And uh, little by little, they all lost interest. And I stood, I stayed in the class. Now, at this, you oh, were wow. 10 years old. No, no, no. I moved back to, I was older. Okay. I was about, I was 15 at the time. Okay. And um, um, so my, all my brothers dropped out. And after a year, it was myself and maybe two students left because at one point, um, the other <clears throat> priest there, uh, Father Madera, said, we were leaving footprints on the wall, and we shouldn't be there. <laughs> and I thought maybe it was because we were sent there chanting Om and didn't really go with the Catholic Church. So, yeah. so he decided it wasn't a good fit for us to be there. So we ended up in Rose Park training. Now, understand that Rose Park is not the best place right. to be. Right. I know exactly uh, where that's at. Ignorance is bliss, and we didn't know. So we were out there with our instructor in our Army fatigues because that was our uniform doing knuckle push-ups, you know, on the concrete, and it's just training full contact because we didn't know the difference. And he would bring other instructors to train with us and mm-hmm. really, you know, to spar with us and teach us a few lessons. And it's interesting because one of them was Javier Gomez, who's 
around today with his, you know, dance group. And he was in Black Mountain, I think Kempo, and he would come and train with us. And um, eventually that class sort of fell apart. But, you know, when I started at that point, immediately I just became enamored with the martial arts. You know, up until that point, I had never been involved in anything. Mm -hmm. I wasn't athletic. I basically, you know, went to school and went to church. And um, so the minute I started training in Taekwondo at, at that time, I just fell in love with it. It just, I just, it was familiar to me. I w it was, I was a natural and I just loved it. So we know where awesome. my mind is right now. I'm sitting here <clears throat> thinking, okay, 15 year old young lady, uh -huh. teenager, Beautiful young lady, mm -hmm. smart, discipline, all that. You don't see that today. You know what I mean? You don't see like young ladies staying in anything. It's all social. You know, it's just different. Everything is so different. And what made it, was it the strict, I guess, the upbringing that made you just like, stay the course? Well, no, I like the discipline. And really, at that point in time in my life, when you come from a low-income family, and we're all like so many people struggling to make it. Mm -hmm. You don't have you don't have the cultural capital at that time in your life. So what are you exposed to? You know what is boxing? It was right, it was a poor man's sport. So this was as close to something that didn't really require any money. They weren't charging. We we went to church. We went a couple nights a week, three times a weekend. So it was something that I could do on my own, mm -hmm. and that I could develop myself and and learn and I thought great this is great I could practice in the backyard I didn't need anything I just needed myself I didn't need equipment I didn't need it wasn't like going to gymnastics or right day. so after that ended um, there was a local school Huarango school and the instructor at the time was Jubang Lee it was his school and um, uh, Bob Dugan do I remember Bob Dugan mm -hmm. who was it went on to he was the founder of the Executive Security International. Oh yeah, that's right. Going strong in Aspen, Colorado, but he was a primary instructor and was one of the Huarango schools. So I convinced my parents to allow me to to go there. It was at the Center Point Mall, so it was like oh my, the Center Point Mall. I yeah. totally remember that. And, and, he, and he was actually in he Ventura did. County twice a week. Oh, my Tuesdays goodness! And Fridays he drove from down and he taught class. So, and then after your, so you, you mentioned that your siblings were involved with you for a while. So then after a while, it was just you. It was just, just you. me. And mm -hmm. in the Huarango school, I think my Adam went there uh, briefly. Um, so hear that briefly, was, Adam? You hear that? <laughs> see, see that, Adam? See how you? Just throwing you under the <laughs> he's, bus. He's starting stuff Anna, and stuff. <laughs> he was young. He was very young uh -huh. and, um, at the time. And so I just continued there. And then little by little, I started hearing. Once I got to Red Belt, which is a Kubuntu Brown Belt Mall Systems, I kind of hit a, a sort of a wall because I was helping out at the school a lot. And a lot of the Korean systems, as you know, you know mm -hmm. helping out, teaching. I was cleaning bathrooms. I was doing everything. And he was like, you're the mama of the school. And I'm like, okay, but I want more. And yeah. then I heard, well, that these guys were doing this full contact karate to the knockout. And I was like, well, because our instructor, Jubang Lee, didn't really believe in tournaments. It was too political. And he just he didn't encourage us to do tournament competition. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to test what I was learning. And when I heard about this concept called full contact karate to the knockout, I, I wanted to try it. Wow. So I would finish training at the Huarangdo School and I would run down the street to Savior Road, Savior's Road to Refugio um, Jesus Flores' school. That's right. Remember that, the Flores school. Brothers? Yes, I remember. And after hours, we would train for full contact karate for, for fights. Okay, so that's how you met those guys. That's how I Got met it. them. 
Um, so now did your did your other instructor get offended that you were doing that? He didn't know, uh, and it wasn't until I started uh, coming out in the newspapers when I finally started. <laughs> He's like, "What's going on?" So I was so terrified when he had a news clipping, and you know, but yeah. I was surprised. He says, "You make you know good name for the school." So in other words, nice. go out there and sign. But he at first was not happy about it. And he was Korean, yeah. right? Yes. So back then, during that time, yeah. um, that, that was very rare. Yes. 76, 77. You didn't do that. If you're with one instructor, yeah. you stay with that one instructor. Got it. So he was open-minded. And there's okay. so many schools like that. Oh, yeah. Not, they claim to be progressive, but the minute you step away and go to learn elsewhere, it's, it, they don't like it, that. They frown upon you. Okay. So. And so then she goes uh, on to become... A world champion and yeah i mean there's so much you could you're it would take hours to hear all the things i know her done. bio i was like wow it's incredible but for you you know and, and part of your education you know you became a professor right right i have two master's degrees well i have a, a bachelor's from ucsb it's a pre-law law and society and then i have a master's in education from cal lutheran mm -hmm. counseling and guidance and and a master's in physical education so you hear, hear how soft-spoken she is, Yeah, educated she is. Yes. But if you give her a hard time. She's going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love it. Okay. She's like this gorgeous woman. She's like, oh, don't mess with her. Well, you know, it's like you never know who, you, who you're like, talking to, right? Some guy gets out of his car. What's wrong with you, lady? That's right. What's your problem? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I'll show you. And she'll say, you know, take one more step yes. for me, okay? She's one like, more. I'll show, I'll show <laughs> I mean, you. Has that minute. ever happened to you? Okay. Well, so like, let me yes, put my no coffee down. I, well, I know you had one incident. Before, yeah, where you had to defend yourself. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So. You can't just say that and then skip. I know we're kind of skipping around, but now I want to know that story. Well, it's in, is it in the book? It's in the. It's in the book. Okay. Oh, so there you go. There you go. You like that little lead yeah, in there, that, right? I mean, you. shoot. So, in in your opinion and your experience, uh, all that you've gone through and all that you've witnessed, you know, uh, and seen. When it comes to the martial arts for young ladies, would you recommend it to people who are watching this? I would absolutely recommend it. And, you know, I have to tell you that when I mentioned growing up, I was extremely shy. And I, like so many young women, had no self-confidence. And you think, you know, how does one build self-confidence? Mm -hmm. I get frustrated when I hear, well, you have to love yourself, be confident. But nobody is taught, I don't want to say no one, but majority of young ladies are not given a process they're not educated in terms of well how do I do that right and I often say you know I see the world through the eyes of a martial artist because it was through the martial arts that I evolved myself because I had enough insight to say you know what you're going to suffer if you don't change your ways because I was like so many young women I see today that couldn't even make eye contact that that mm. was terrified to walk up and say, you know, I need this, you know, I wouldn't mm. go into a bank or, you know, that type of thing. I didn't have that type of confidence. And it was in high school where I started, you know, forced myself to sign up for a drama class. That's where I started because I thought this doesn't feel good. Mm. And um, I just, you know, people used to, later in life when I run into people from high school, they used to see me totally different, but they didn't know what I was hiding. They didn't know how I felt inside. Mm. Uh, they just thought I was shy, but it was just that I was really timid. And um, so it was through the martial arts that I started building my confidence that I thought, okay, this is something that I can do. And how does, and today I see that in young ladies, like how do they build their confidence? Well, they, they start believing that they're capable of doing something effectively and efficiently. And mm -hmm. it could be, the vehicle could be physical. You know, not necessarily, but if, if I teach you a front kick and you just cannot master it and you go home and you're like, oh, that I just couldn't get it. 
-hmm. Well, you're not going to be confident, but if I teach you front kick or demonstrate a kick and you go, oh, I got this, this, I own this, I can do this, well, you're going to leave there you know, feeling really good about yourself and you're going to keep coming back and you're yeah. going to start building on that. But today it's a totally different generation, as you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, young people are so self-absorbed that they've created their own reality you know, in the mm. social media, in their, in their phones, that I'm always amazed when I walk around, and I'll look at my daughter and say, look how many people are on their cell phone. It's like 99.9% .9 of people mm -hmm. are on their cell phone, walking yeah. with their cell phone. So I think of this, you know, I have a friend named Erwin Carmichael who published a book, A Self-Defense. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I remember Erwin. Okay, well, he's in North Carolina, and he worked in the prison system. And he talked about when he spoke to, when he interviewed rapists, murderers, and, and he asked them, like, you know, what do you look for? How do you choose uh. your victims? And back then, they said, go to any Piggly Wiggly, you know, go to the <laughs> store and notice how many young women are walking with their heads in the clouds or not paying attention. Oh, right. He says, you know, just the lap counters, you click, 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 how many women you could pick whoever you want. And I'm always aware of that. And I wow. look around and, you know, we talk about situational awareness, but we think today it's like worse because not only do, are they on their phones or they have their, their you know, headpieces. Right. People were, don't want to almost like they don't want to participate in the world. They live their lives. You see kids visiting with each other, texting each other in the same room. Mm -hmm. So at my school, CMA Academy, one of the drills that we do, that someone from the outside looking in would say, that doesn't, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's yeah. just so minor. But at the end of class, we all line up and each person, <clears throat> each child has to shake the person's hand, make eye contact. And what I've learned is some kids don't even know how to shake hands. That's so true. Wow. They don't know how to interact with other people. So it's taken months for, I'm talking about five, six, seven-year-olds, where they're actually looking at you and saying, good job, and they go down to the next person. And something as small, which appear to be trivial as that, is, is huge. It is. For people to start coming out of their shell and, and, and becoming more confident. You know, sure. you, you yeah. said a, she said a couple things mm -hmm. that I definitely want to touch on. Yeah. Uh, because as we talk about young ladies and young men and people mm -hmm. having confidence at a young age so it can be with them for the rest of their life, a lot of them, as you mentioned, are basing their self-esteem and inner self-worth on how many likes they get on TikTok, how many likes they oh, get on right. Instagram. Now, you know, they remove the likes. Yeah. Then it's, it's all about how many people you know, are looking at them because they can still see or the following, analytics. Or the, following. Yeah, or even. following. Yeah. So, so many of these young ladies are just so caught up in what they look like. And then I start to see the filters. Yes. So then you start meeting these people <laughs> and they don't look like who you thought you were going to meet. <laughs> right. According to their profile. <laughs> right. And so yeah. that's why I wanted to like kind of go there because what that, that old school way of training, if we call it old school, yeah, could be available and is available for, for people today. You know what I mean? Like it's, yes. it's there. And a lot of these Instagram models, it would be so helpful for them to mm -hmm. go into a school like yours and have such a mentor and be following you. You should have millions of followers. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I sit at my school some days frustrated because I look on the mat and I think, oh, you know, what are we, what do we need to do? You know, right. I, I offer women's self-defense classes almost at no cost. And it's like you have to beat the bushes to get the students to come out. And I think about that. I think about that. And I talk to the other professors and instructors at my dojo. And I say, and I'm not bragging, no brag, just fact. I said, collectively, 
we are have more qualifications, more certification in this one room than most, probably all of Ventura County schools put together. Oh, easily. Wow. Yet yeah. we struggle to get the students in. And we have a very holistic program because with my background in education, and I just retired from Oxnard College. I was department chair of counseling for years there. I developed curriculum for the, for the uh, PE department, <clears throat> like six, seven courses that are CSU and UC transferable, and they're all boxing, kickboxing, self-defense. Oh, nice. Fitness, self-defense. That's awesome. So I can go get my PhD now in <laughs> well, kicking. Well, there's only a couple of you know, PhD in martial arts, and that used to be Rad- Radford University. Yeah. I'm sure if they still do. But, um, <clears throat> but the point I'm making is that even though you know I was teaching at the you know, at the college, they they got credit for it. But at the school, it's it's like I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we need I, something. No, I I, I kind of do know what it, what the I just haven't. I grapple with the solution. You know, we always say problem solution change. You know, mm-hmm. when we tug our belt, the kids do. But it has it goes back to the very beginning of where I was walking around with my head down. And even though we roll our shoulder back and pretend that we're confident, we're not always that confident. And it has to do with self-worth. And I do believe that you know, a lot of young ladies still lack self-worth. And we talk about loving yourself, mm-hmm. valuing who you are. And I think that's that's forever going to be a struggle. But that. it's kind of like I what you said, though, valuing where you are. As long <clears throat> as I got my Instagrams, as long as I got my TikTok, right. as long as I got people liking and following me, that's my value. Well, but if you strip that away, then what happens saying. to that person? Well, I know one thing that I know. And actually, sorry, I just want to finish oh, one sorry, more thing. Sorry, Because what you touched on also brings me to this place of part of the solution may be fear. In Ventura County and in California and mm-hmm. all over the country, the world, we have sex trafficking. Yeah. And, it's, and it's growing. Mm-hmm. It's happening a lot. So as a father of two daughters, 100%, like I teach them little things, of course, like, but they don't do martial arts. But as you've been talking, Faith mm-hmm. and Felicity are going to be coming to your school. So they're 12 and, and nine and a half. So we're going to give it a shot. And that's hopefully awesome. they fall in love with it. But I want them to have that experience. And that's all I wanted to, to, yeah. to bring up before yeah. you go to the next question is sex trafficking is high. And yeah. if people knew it, it would be mandatory that at least every young woman is given an opportunity to go to a school like yours mm-hmm. and to be empowered with the knowledge, the awareness, yeah. the inner, like, the confidence that could help them if something so bad were to even come close to yeah. them. So no, everyone in Ventura, go see Graciela. Get your sure. kids in there. You know, and it bring it brings a memory for me because I, when I moved to San Diego to go to college, I remember from from here, from Ventura County, from Oxnard, it's a small community compared to going down to San Diego. And I remember getting on campus and all these flyers on campus about you know, being aware of like, um, you know, sexual crime and rape and being, you know, and for me, it was, it was so scary that all of a sudden I was in this, like this little fish in this big pond. And I actually took um, women's uh, self-defense started there. And that was one of the things that compelled me to do it. But I guess my question is that sometimes I wonder because in the weight loss field, I think a lot of times people are so used to that instant gratification. So whether it's weight loss or maybe trying to master something like this, that people get, um, I don't know, discouraged by anything that actually takes time, like with respect, let's so say, even with martial arts the now. The comment you just made mm-hmm. is, is critical because what I have learned in teaching women's self-defense mm-hmm. courses or when I'm promoting my class, I'll see, I'll bump into someone and say, oh, I did that eight years ago, I'm good. And there's, there's a disconnect 
between when we think of women's self-defense training. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm going to back up and say I really wish we didn't even use the term women because, mm. because in reality, what we're teaching women is what men should be learning. Because think about this. If I taught a 105-pounder female how to execute a, a tactic that was very efficient, taught the same thing to you, well, it would be effortless for you. And if you're going to assume and you, you can't take for granted that it'll be one assailant, but maybe there's two, maybe there's right. three, you have to deal with number one and move quickly to number two. But what I've learned is that the disconnect is this. I can go to one seminar, mm-hmm. learn, and I'm good. And in seminars, I always bring this up. I say, how many, and I'll ask the question, how many of you are involved in other activities? Right. You know, who does tennis? Who does golf? Who does salsa? And hands will come up and I'll say, well, do you believe that going once was enough? Did you become proficient at yeah. golf taking two lessons? Well, no, I have to keep working on my craft. And when I pre- present it in that way, I think, but why do you think learning how to defend the only body that you're getting yeah. in this lifetime is any different? Right. There's still motor skills involved. There's still, it's a physical type of training. Right. So... You can't just go once or even twice. Right. You have to, just like anything, and I talk about insurance. Why do we pay our premiums every mm-hmm. month? Not because we're gonna, our house is going to burn down or we're going to crash our car, because we hope that we never have to right. use it. It's the in case. So why can't we apply that analogy to the most important thing in life? And I, I tell students, I said, this is the only body you're going to get in this lifetime. You may be able to repair it because you change your lifestyle, Mm-hmm. start living a diet-free life <laughs> but but what if you know you crash and burn it if somebody assaults you if somebody hurts you um it's going to be difficult so why not invest the time and energy in being able to take care of it i mean that's that's yeah, a easy i mean I love it. that's one of those statements that I, we all get it yes but we live in a reaction world mm-hmm. and people aren't proactive unfortunately and not all people but right. a large majority of them and so until something happens, it's kind of like yes. even with breast cancer, right? We're doing yes. a lot of work in that space. Mm-hmm. Until something happens, people just kind of just keep on just moving on. But not knowing there's this this dual opportunity with martial arts training where you're helping yourself on the inside mm-hmm. mentally. You're getting stronger physically. You're learning a skill that gives you more confidence and, right. and all that comes with that. Um, and that's going to help you in a lot of aspects in your life. You know what I mean? Like think yeah. of all the people oh, you sure. work with. I mean, she's working with lawyers. You got doctors, you yeah. got kids with, they used to have asthma problems and now they do martial arts, they're having fun. Right. I don't know. Maybe all we need ages, a new Ninja, sure, Ninja Turtle ages. movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Chuck Norris at? No, that's, uh, I love that. It's, it's so, it's so inspiring and I, and I'm, I'm inspired by, you know, all martial artists as well, but especially, you know, as a woman, um, and seeing your, you know, your journey with it and how you found it because it's, um, it's rare to see. You know, well, that, especially at that, this level, the level that you've achieved, it's, in, it's incredible. So here's a, here's a question for you. Knowing what you know, right, as far as, like you said, you, you have a whole bunch of professors and, mm-hmm. and instructors, this wealth of knowledge and credentials. Knowing how you can make a huge difference, and like you said, you're sitting in your dojo, your school, and you're looking at the floor, you're going, what do we got to do to get the word out, yeah. right? When you look at people rushing to do all kind of things that aren't as empowering, like how does it really ha- make you feel <laughs> on the inside knowing you have such a gift and a talent that you can share with people that can really change your life i just want to know how you really feel about that 
I feel that I have to invest more time and energy to just instead of I I never look at what I don't have but I have to look at or what we're missing but or how can we get it what do we have to do differently to get out there mm-hmm. and really you know get the word out and I try to find creative ways of thinking you know there there are other ways to pull people in it's having them see that there's an additional benefit Everyone, I mean, we fight with, not everyone, again, everyone, I don't like to speak in generalities, but what major problem today is, you know, especially amongst women, it's women, number one killer is heart disease, right? So we think about being fit. Um, if I can, if I can promote fitness, okay, so that, you know, you look better and feel better about yourself, mm-hmm. and a byproduct of that is that you're also learning to defend yourself, Maybe that's one way, you know, that we're, we are getting more students in that way. Because uh, most people may not want to hear this, but going to learn how to defend yourself, even taking a week-long seminar, won't matter if you don't have the body, the strength, yeah. the muscle stamina, the muscle endurance to withstand a violent encounter. And that's often neglected when, you, you know, you see women's self-defense classes, you know, mm-hmm. combatives courses for men, for women. But, but they don't talk about the other side of it. And people don't want to hear this, but I can teach you 100 punches, but if you punch someone in self-defense and you break your hand because you, your hand is too weak, right. then it doesn't matter. So you have to condition and prepare your body for the fight. Right. And that's yeah. where you know, the fitness comes in and you know, developing a um, more better body composition and feeling better about yourself. Right, just that overall conditioning, right? So whereas someone may not want to deal with the fact that maybe it can happen to me, well, let's find some other way that, that you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to shed, you know, lower your, your body weight and right. feel good and also have something. We have a class we call it Combat Fit, which is it's really, you know, conditioning, boxing, kickboxing class, but the movements are preparing you, your body Ooh. To react instinctively, if you know, if you need to elbow somebody in the head, or you know, react to somebody coming at you. I'm smiling really big. That sounds like the class for me. See, that's what you want to do. Right? <laughs> I totally do. Yes. Yeah, so I'm. And so, and so, like, okay, if a, if a woman or if Barbara came to your self defense class, right? Because there's a lot of people going. Okay, you got you guys have my interest. Yep. You know, what can I expect? Yes. So let's break down the barriers that people have in front of them that's stopping them from going. Mm-hmm. It, it's first, firstly, emotional and mental before we even put anyone on the mat Mm. I really address that because if you're not prepared mentally to defend yourself you can it doesn't matter what you learn that's why you know uh, Robert I'm sure you of course have heard of black belts that get their butts kicked because you know they're they're black belts but when it comes to the to really defending themselves everything goes out the window and they, Mm. they freeze so it's really you know I talk about the lioness within and what I mean by that is that most of us have that we all do but but most of us can tap into that and find an anchor within us so if you're the type of person who would be squeamish when if i said to you are you prepared to stick your thumb in somebody's eye and push oh, right the way back <laughs> yeah can you just gouge it can you can rip rip them to shreds and you go oh, oh. i can't right. see myself doing that but i ask you now do you have children i do have a son now if somebody grabbed your child I mean, you walked in the room and somebody's choking or slapping. I wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't even hesitate. Right. So that's that lioness within. Yeah. The lioness protects her cubs. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, a lot of women are capable of doing that for someone they love, but not for themselves. Uh, Why can't we fight back for ourselves? But we wouldn't hesitate 
to protect someone that we love. Mm. So that's what I refer to as a lioness within. So in a lot of studies have been done in law enforcement, when we talk about anchors, you mm. have to develop an anchor, and that anchor could, would be your son, right. could be your two daughters. And, and it's been seen over and over in where police officers are shot, should have died. And afterwards they're saying, well, why did you survive? What do you think made you? And the, and the officer says, because I told myself as I lay there in a pool of blood that I was going home today because I'm going to be there for my son. I'm going to take him to his ball games. I'm going to be there, and I am not going to die today. Whereas other officers who might have had a superficial wound didn't make it. Wow. And this goes back to World War One, World War Two, where they've done studies on this. So the power of our mind and that that wanting to survive is mm-hmm. critical. So addressing self-worth, you know, mm-hmm. belief system, how, what do you think about yourself? Are you prepared right. to fight back? And I tell women, this is a meeting you have to have with yourself right. prior to any situation ever happening. And once you're convinced that you're worth fighting for, and I have a chapter called, Are You Worth Fighting For? Mm-hmm. where I address this, then the rest is easier. So I oftentimes say I will put my money on someone that has attitude and mindset and no training before someone that might have a black belt but doesn't have the confidence to execute what they've learned. Mm. So yeah, I wow. I mean, do you hear like everything that you're saying? Yeah. Like, we just did a show. Actually, Barbara wasn't there with us. We were in Boise, Idaho. Yes. And I titled it the Mamba uh, mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, which Kobe Bryant made popular, the Mamba mentality. Because he had this mindset that you're talking about. Powerful. It was all about, like, he was anchored to being the best and winning. And, and even when he won after certain games, he would go back when everybody else went to the clubs. And he would go, say, I'm going to go do another 500 shots. Right. And I also hear, like, uh, there's a place called the Hippocrates Institute in Florida where they have about 100 rooms or beds where people who get some form of cancer want to go there. And they have a, a high um, probability of, of, of the outcome being better if you're in this place. But in order to be accepted, the most important part of it is that they look at your mindset. What is your attitude about this cancer that you have? Because if it's not in alignment with winning, then this is not the place for you. So they go mindset first. You hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. Business mindset first. Cancer survivors mindset first. So you're saying that when Barbara comes or these ladies come to your (laughs) self-defense course, or a seminar, if they come and do martial arts, mm-hmm. that you're always thinking mindset. Is that that's what I'm hearing, yeah. right? Yes. So, yes. And do you find, speaking of mindset, that because I'm sure there, and because I run across it as well in the weight loss field, like clients that come to me, there are people that they might not have all the information that they need as far as how to lose weight or how to you know, defend themselves, but there's something there that you can see. They have this, I don't know if it's just a spark or that that mindset. They have that strong will, and there's others that you can see that they might be saying the right words, but you can tell that it's doesn't get much deeper than that. And how do you, I guess, work with the ones that, you know, there's kind of saying the right thing and not really believing it yet. How do you onion? You have to peel the layers. Mm -hmm. You have to get to the root eventually. And it it can start off with building the physical confidence. Yeah. Um, And we do have, you know, some students that obviously, have had traumatic experiences that in it you just have to be sensitive to mm-hmm. one their style of learning to you know emotionally where they're at mm-hmm. um, but and and I'm hopeful that when I'm working with students like that that mm-hmm. eventually that you know you, you peel one layer you get to the next and they start owning it they have right. to own it and when I say they have to own it it doesn't matter once mm-hmm. again how many 
techniques you learn, if you don't have that confidence that you can make it work for you. And this is, you know, year, years ago, I was a member of ASLIT, which is American Society of Law Enforcement Trainers. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the few, one of the few um, non-official law enforcement that was invited to teach to national conferences. And mm -hmm. I would go every year. And the seminar that I taught was how to train a small officer. Because what you learn is... Oh. When you're a smaller person, oh, smaller, you're smaller. Back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all trying to lower that body weight. Um, is that the training should be principle based? You know, in a lot of martial arts systems, it's like cookie cutter. Everyone has to learn. And Huarang, though, I remember if my movement wasn't exact, then they come and adjust your hand, and you had your fingers had to be this way. And the system, I have my own martial arts system that I teach, and it's principle-based. Okay. And my goal is for every individual to move differently based on their body type. Okay. I don't want you to move like me. Hopefully, you're going to move better than right. me. Right. Okay. Instructors say that. And, but, you know, we really do believe that in terms of if, if, you can, if you can learn and go beyond where I'm at, well, that's truly a compliment for me, right. saying I did my job. So it's principle-based? That's what you call principle -based it? principle-based. Okay. And... What I mean by that is that I'm not going to necessarily teach you the exact same thing that I would teach Robert. Okay. You, you know, you're different. Right. And if I teach something and I see someone struggling with it, I ad we adapt it right on the spot. We go, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, he's taller than you. It doesn't make sense for you to try to jump up right. and elbow him in the head. Hey. So you lower your center of gravity. You make yourself even smaller and you go low. So that's a type of, when I say principle based, right. you adjust it. You don't force them. Not to quote Bruce Lee, but you know, I was talking about you know that the style should fit the individual, not the individual. I have to learn fit the style. I love that. Do you hear a lot a, of commonalities between diaphy life? Absolutely, and, meeting people where they are and how important that is for people to succeed. You know, and principle-based, evidence-based. Yes, all is that is relying on that and not mm -hmm. what works for you, for her only. Because oftentimes, right. martial art people will teach what they like to teach and what works for them. Right. Because their length of knowledge, if you will, is okay. only that. So mm -hmm. they can only do that. Whereas when you're, that's one of the reasons why I think that you're like a, uh, you're, you're like gold platinum in this area for people to have this opportunity. Because with your wide range of knowledge, that wisdom that you bring to the table, mm -hmm. it puts you in a position where, and with your other instructors, where a person is given an opportunity to really take off based on what qualities they bring to the table. Right. Yeah. Which exactly. is amazing. It is amazing. And it's funny because my mind, it's funny like when you were talking, yeah. my mind went to that place where I know what it was like in the 70s as a young kid. I lived and experienced it in the 80s as far as martial arts and being around a lot of machismo, if you will. Yeah. And being the only woman oftentimes, I mean, to stay the course, <laughs> to go through the training. I'm thinking about Me Too. I'm thinking about yeah. Harvey Weinstein. I'm thinking about. All of that that I know you have had to have gone through. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, yes. You know, because she it's not like she's with insurance guys who don't have any physical fitness or martial arts training. She's with martial artists. Right. Who believe that they're like the best of the best. And these guys, I'm sure, made advances or talked a certain way. How did you navigate through all that? I have to say that it wasn't the martial artists in my life. I've always felt that even when I started a boxing gym, which is a little uh, less structured and, you know, you compare a boxing gym to a traditional martial arts studio, the value system is a bit different. Right. And when I started, I started Hoover Street Boxing Gym. 
Wow. And that was the first boxing gym I went to. If you knew where that was located, uh, it's no longer there. But um, because of the way I carried myself and my mindset and my attitude, I was always respected. I mean, occasionally you'd get the guy wanting to ask you for a date or something like that. But overall, because I was focused and I knew what I was, why I was there, mm -hmm. I never had issues with other athletes. It's the promoters. It's the managers. It's the, you know, it's the other people in power. Right. That you need something from them, and and they treat you in a certain way. Like oh. the Harvey Weinstein's. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is, Person of power. You know, me too. That movement is brought to light what's been going on forever i'm sure and, yeah and we're talking about the 70s you know really in the 70s where we went through a lot and yeah the female all the female fighters you know we would i would show up to a fight and i there'd be one room for my even for, for my trainer and i and they'd say i'd say um <clears throat> my trainer and the manager would say the promoter would say oh no you're just a fighter you can sleep in the same room with him we were never respected and we and huh. you know, there was often times you know where i'd go and this is <laughs> a lot of this is in my book where i'd i'd go to meet a promoter you know i'd open the door and he'd be standing there in his robe <laughs> and i'm like okay like what really so what did okay. you do when that happened um we we talked i so you did young. you go into the room? Yeah, I did go in the room, but I left shortly after that. And wow! You know, it was like the the perception of who I was when I I guess walked in was very was very different than when I left. And that right. first individual became a big supporter. I won't mention what organization he worked uh, for, but eventually started seeing what we were going to. Saw our plight as as female boxers up and coming, and did help. You know, get me on other shows. You know, on top rank boxing and. Um, but that was just one of just so many situations that that we experienced. But the difference was that today, because it's out, I think women are having more courage to say and to say, "What are you doing?" Right, like you there's it's not quite right. You are? This yeah, is, you know, this is not okay. And where when you're young and more naive, you're just kind of like. Because you, right. you, you want what they bring to the table. You you want or you need. And eventually, I start you know, in, in different ways. For me, it might have not been sexual, but it was they were exploiting us. If I you know made weight, training for a fight, and I had to get down to one fifteen where my weight was one twenty eight normally, ready to walk out the door or something, they'll just say, "Well, you're going to fight this other person who outweighs you fifteen pounds." Um, if you say, "No, I want you to hurt or lose the weight," well, we don't need you. Just don't fight happened to us in Hong right. Kong. Opportunity is gone. Wow. Right. And after, as a starving fighter who just wants to fight, you go, yeah. bring it on, okay, I'll fight you. It happened to, you know, you know Don Wilson. Mm -hmm. and, um, who else was there with us? Benny Urquidez. We went to Hong Kong to do an exhibition. We took our own partner to do an exhibition. We get there and they say, no, you're going to fight for real. You're going to fight. And I looked at this individual that I was going to fight. She, she probably outweighed me 15 pounds. And... Um, so did it go down? Wow. Did it go down and what happened? Yes. Yeah, like I know. <laughs> and, and long before UFC, we all fought. It was 1981. We didn't, they wouldn't let, let us wear boxing gloves, which everyone wore. Mm -hmm. Kickboxing, right? They made us wear the little light, those Wendy bag gloves. There was no ring. Are you serious? There was a, I had wow. A video. There was a platform. So when the guys got kicked out into the crowd of, thousands of Chinese people that were yelling stuff that we didn't understand. Oh, they just my God. Back in. <gasps> and, um, that was like uh, blood sport. Right. Kumite. It was very bloody. It wasn't Kumite. It was like <clears throat> continuous action kickboxing. 
and Benny tried to talk to everyone and, and, and said, you know, we should really protect, to protect the fighters wear the heavier gloves. The masters, Wing Chun masters, would have, wouldn't have that. They thought that, you know, if they didn't have the gloves, they could trap and grab and Oh, right. And so my fight lasted one round, I think. Knocked her down a couple of times and it was over. Wow. And, Whoa. Uh, but I remember like it was yesterday, Benny kicking this guy in the side of the head and his head just blew up. It just swelled up, you know. And they had, we, had, we didn't have any safety, you know. Well, now with UFC, they're not wearing a lot of safety equipment either. But back then you wore the shin guards and the safety kicks. Mm. And, protection to protect really to protect your opponent not so much to protect you right so wow you've been in some wars no that's crazy so, so, so let me ask you in the situation harvey weinstein who's <laughs> in the news and i keep bringing him up because he's a he to me is going to be in the in the encyclopedia for when they say a person who abuses their power um because he did it for years and years right, and yeah. it's now becoming extremely it's public all over the world mm-hmm. But if someone like his whole thing was he would say, hey, come up to my room and let's talk about your next big match. So you go to the room and he's the guy in the robe. And, you know, many women have said this. So he invites you in and you're like, "Okay, this is really odd, kind of weird. So you're in there. Then he goes, you need to relax a little bit. Let me give you a little massage. So he starts giving you a massage or would it get there? What would Graciela do? Absolutely not. You know, knowing what I Right. I'm more mature today. Oh, we want to hear I, you say, I'm going to put it on it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never allow, and that's when we talk about, <clears throat> let's talk about situational awareness. You know, when we, when, we, when, when girls are young, your parents tell you, Miha, be aware of your environment mm-hmm. when you leave. Okay, be careful, pay attention, be, be aware, of your, aware of your environment. But we're not told what to look for. Does that mean that we go, oh, wow, the flowers are blossoming? <laughs> right. That's <laughs> true. That is a what true does that statement. Really mean? See, what that means when I teach, that means observing for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To see if there's some stranger walking towards you with his hands in his pocket, you know, and you don't know, and it looks kind of strange. To see yeah. that if it's, you know, 100, I'm exaggerating to make my point. It's 100 degrees outside and somebody's wearing a trench coat with his hands in his pocket walking towards you. You know, right. to know to move away. To be able to observe for a purpose, to know if, you know, if this is one of the three Ds. What's a three, three Ds, drunk, drug, deranged, you mm-hmm. know? To be able to assess people, to read people, to read body language. Mm-hmm. That's what women should be taught so that they never get into that situation. So it's called prevention. It's a slippery slope. Once you're in that room, it's like when someone is kidnapped or somebody's assaulted, I, we, we always teach do not let them put you in a vehicle. The minute you move from point right. A to point B, your chances of surviving quickly diminish. So whatever it takes, if you have to take a round, if you have to scream, do whatever, if they have a gun on you, but the minute you get in that vehicle, it's going to be, I don't want to say it's over, but it's going to be very difficult. Right. So the minute you go through that, open that door, you know, first of all, I wouldn't be meeting someone in their room. I would say, you know, can we meet at Coffee Bean? Can we meet at this restaurant? Um, I'm No, you know, or just assert yourself and say i don't go to people to hotels yeah i prefer to meet if there's a cocktail lounge in the hotel if it's a five-star hotel and they have a restaurant i'll meet you there but i'm not going to go to your room Why so doesn't so don't don't nice. you agree that it all comes down to self like you said inner self-esteem self-worth self-importance because if you have that young lady who mm-hmm. wants to have her own podcast uh, or wants to have her own show right. and she knows that the person she's meeting with can make one phone call, send one text message and they get it. Yeah. They're like, I value the opportunity of getting that gig more than that. I'm I'm willing to deal with the 
the discomfort that I'm to feeling. Tolerate. Yes. Yeah. With the goal of getting it. So so it goes back to self-esteem. Yeah, it goes back to more than self-esteem. It goes, to, it goes back to your own value system. How you value yourself and yeah. whether you're, you're willing to make that trade. You know, the, are you willing to make that? Are, you know, are you comfortable in your own skin and, you know, um, okay with that? So it's, it's up to that individual. Yeah. No one can really answer that for anyone. It just depends. Some women might say, you know what? It was worth it because now I'm in a position. Right. Now, I'm not comparing myself to that, but I'm going to give you situations. When I was a professional fighter, I knew that we were looked at as freak shows because you're talking about the 80s. And I, in the late 70s, 80s, you didn't have women in UFC. UFC didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I wore a little skirt. Okay. I was the first boxer to step in a ring with a skirt. Why did I wear a skirt? Because, one, they didn't make anything for women. The, men, the boxer trunks, they were, they were just horrendous. They looked <laughs> awful. And I wanted to look good. I mean, we all want to look good. Right. Yeah. I acknowledged in my mind that part of this is entertainment. I want to entertain the crowd. You know, they're there to see my skill, but I need to get their attention first. And I knew that even though I was, I was being exploited, if I asked for more money, oh, get out of here. But my picture was on all the posters with my little skirt, a little pose, and I came to grips with that. I said, even though I don't like it, I accept that I'm going to need to do this to get the crowd's attention. But I knew... You were fully aware of it. I right. was aware of it. And I knew that the minute the bell rang and we went out and touched gloves, that people would go, oh, wow, they mm -hmm. can really fight. They're athletes. They're not, you know, sexy boxers yeah. trying to hit each other. Um, like a pillow fight or something. People, oh, you're a mud wrestler? <laughs> no, I'm not a mud wrestler. And this is the attitude of people. So in that situation, I was aware and I knew that, okay, that this is what it is. And this is what I have to do. You know, uh, for weigh-ins, I wore a dress. You know, I never showed up, you know, in sweats. And I knew that that was a game. It's a game you have to play in order to, for people to accept you or to, to, for them to at least to focus on what you're doing because you're trying to accomplish something. You're, you know, you're trying to gain the respect, and eventually, when they see you fighting, um, hopefully they would. They would. Mm. Nice. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you know, so my mom and my mom is Italian, my dad's Filipino, also very traditional. I was brought up very a very traditional uh, household, and they were both you know immigrants, and so, you know, they didn't when. I have a sister and they didn't share with us, you know, types of things like, you know, as far as being aware when you're out and about. But I do remember specifically them always saying that they trusted us. They just didn't trust other people. And so for me as a you know young lady growing up, my whether you call this defense or not, was just I, I was just sort of kind of scared of other people. And so I didn't want to really necessarily be around obviously people I didn't know. But I, I would imagine, like you said, that um people lacking that situational awareness and how important that would be just just knowing some basic things like you said to look for certain things or look at certain you know characteristics of people or how you walk out to your car and there, if there's a car parked next to you know stuff like that all these little things that are so important or so helpful that you know a lot of times you don't learn until something happens that's bad or you know that really forces you to look at that I would say that 80 to 90 percent of women who carry themselves in a certain manner will never become a victim. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's the ones if you're a you know, perpetrator looking for someone, you're not going to look. You're not going to pick on the woman that's got her shoulders walking by. Yeah. Say, hey, how are you doing? And keeps walking. Okay. But the second part to that is, what if they call your bluff? 
Right. What if they're one of the three Ds? He doesn't care that you're confident and stuff, you know. And that's where the training needs to come in. Mm -hmm. Because hopefully you'll never get to that point because of the way you carry yourself, because you're able to make eye contact. And I tell women, don't make eye contact too long. But, you know, just you're walking by someone, you say, hey, you know, you acknowledge them and you keep going. Because you can also send mixed messages and say, well, she's checking me out. She's looking at me. Um, So... But, you know, you have to have something to back that up for the women yeah. that, you know, if some guy calls your bluff and says, you know, I don't care. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they better not do that with you. Can I see your book? That's <laughs> right. I know. Over. That's why I need to go to her studio. Because it's, it's amazing. I like that also earlier you talked about how, and it ties in a lot also with like weight loss, how there are things that you do that you don't just take a class and then you're good. Like, I'm good. I'm done. And even though, yeah, it was ages ago that I did the self-defense, it led into some, you know, some time with Taekwondo. It was so long ago, and I learned some great things, but if I had to try to use that today, I mean, it it wouldn't happen. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. You know, it just depends. Mm-hmm. It depends on your attitude. Yeah. Attitude first, Miss Barbara. That's true. So we have about 15 minutes. So, okay. Um, I got some, so just for clarity, you were undefeated as a boxer? Yes. So I, didn't, I mean, I didn't. I guess for some I reason, I saw that. Yeah, I totally like missed that. <laughs> I mean, so when you look at boxers, thirty-one and zero with eighteen knockouts. I mean, wow, dang. Now, did you ever meet uh, Layla Ali? No. Okay, uh, but you met Graciela. I mean, not Graciela. <laughs> Muhammad. Lucia Riker. <laughs> no, uh, Lucia. Yeah. So, oh, oh. so Lucia is a lady that I work with oh, um, oh, oh. in the boxing world, and she was getting ready for her very her final fight was going to be with um, Christy Martin. Okay. And so she was managed by um, um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Stewart, Stewart. Uh, who's legendary. Mm-hmm. At the time, she, she was being trained by Freddie Roach, who's legendary. Yeah. And um, I was her nutrition and conditioning guy, who's uh. legendary. You know? <laughs> 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 but, but I always tell people, I go, she was the most athletic. I had the most fun working with her compared to any of the other world champions I've worked with in UFC and boxing and martial arts. And the only other person I always like, like when I first got met you the first time and because, you know, I followed, you know, yeah. and I was just blown away that she was from this area. Right. Um, I hold you in that same light. I mean, I never got to work with you like that, but that's why I'm so passionate when I meet people and they say, yeah, there's no place to train around here. I go, what is wrong with you people? Right. But yeah. it's not their fault. They just don't know. Yeah. They just don't know. So mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up some people that I know you either work with or maybe I don't know if you work with them and just to get your perspective on these people or what comes to mind uh, because she's worked with some amazing people. Yeah. And the first one would be, um, you've met her, Lucia Riker. Lucia Riker was a phenomenal athlete. She still is. And I have nothing but respect for her. And I, I always thanked God that she was in a different weight division. than (laughs) 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 Because she is just, she's incredible. And uh, she's also a very graceful person and um, just a beautiful individual. See, I would nice. if, if I had a, if I put on a party and it was <laughs> going to be around boxing or celebrating women in, the, in that movement and where we are today, mm. I would it would be you. So it'd be Graciela Casillas. Graciela. Uh, Lucia Riker. OK. I would bring in Christy Martin because she 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 was given the platform regardless of how someone sees her skill set. Uh huh. She became pretty famous. She was on Sports Illustrated, you know, all of that. Um, I would bring in Ronda Rousey because, again, Mm -hmm. she was the first one in the UFC that really got out there. And I would bring in Gina. I mean, so there's some, I mean, you're in like the six people 
um, women who are just who, who who should be celebrated all the time. Like the UFC should always say, hey, Graciela, anytime you want to come, we got your you know front seat. I mean, have you met Dana White? Yeah, I was a judge in the first UFC. Oh, is that? Second. Look oh, at that. Cool. There you go. Wow. <laughs> you UFC in Puerto Rico. You see me there standing there sweaty. The condition wasn't working. But that's that was before it became more structured and more organized in uh-huh. terms of the rules. And So, you know, I was really good friends with Art Davey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so former Marine also. Yeah. He's one of the founders of the UFC. Mm-hmm. And I was a judge in UFC 9. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they sold it, I ended up, I got blackballed because I wrote an article about steroid use. It was when uh, Dan Severn fought uh, Ken Shamrock. Oh. And I had the, my, my magazine, Martial Arts Gazette. And so I wrote an article about steroids being used. Ooh. And the owners of the UFC were like, he can never be a judge again. We hate him. And I, yeah. I was kicked out, <laughs> kicked to the curb. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then you've done movies. I've done some. So what movies can you mention that people can go Google? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I would like them to go Google. <laughs> Were they all martial art related? Um, I did Fire in the Night, which, yes and no, more or less, it was some, not enough martial arts in it. Uh-huh. That was a problem with the film. It was a good film. could have been a great film. Um, and, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, did you do like, stunt work and everything, all that? No, I never did stunt work. Okay. Okay. I did, the, uh. I did when I was fighting, I did the talk show circuit, you know, two, three times. Mm-hmm. and um, did a couple films, but that was that was an interesting film because I was actually hired to train the actress, and a couple of days later had the lead role. I'm not sure oh. what <laughs> I wasn't going to question it. I was like, great, fantastic, yeah. and so I always say it was sort of a combination of flash dance and Karate Kid, but um, okay. nice. Before Karate Kid. So, so I'm going to board the people. Some people watching, but some people are going to be excited about this. Is so. When I was doing martial arts heavy, mm-hmm. I wanted to understand and learn the Filipino martial arts. Uh, Arnis, Screama, Kali, however you want to refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met this gentleman who introduced me to this person named Angel Cabalas, who you trained with. Yes, he was my teacher. So share with those who have no idea. I mean, well, he was a small man. He wasn't my first teacher, though. I started, I'm just very briefly say that 1980 I was a fighter and I used to win my fights but at the end of the fight you wondered who really won because I would take a beating I would you know take a punch to give a punch so my friend Paul Maslach at the time who was the editor of Inside Kung Fu mm-hmm. said I know someone who could really help you and <laughs> to teach you more lateral movement can angling, I guess who that is that person yes you can Danny Inosanto absolutely <laughs> wow man what's up yeah. baby what's up <laughs> <laughs> uh, December 1980 walked into this school you know on washington boulevard culver city was just an empty office space that they would rent at the time um a couple days a week it was the inosanto kali academy a couple days a week it was uh hawkins chung wing chung school and we never saw each other and the first class i was there i just fell in love with the filipino martial arts and after years of training with him now it's like 19 i don't remember late 80s I was introduced, there's like, Danny would bring different styles to us, and one of them introduced us to Angel Cabalas, who was uh, very small in stature, shorter than me, smaller than me, and he um, lived in Stockton, and I got to a point where I was now teaching, and I wanted, I, I was curious about certain things that we were learning, so I wanted more of it. So I asked Dan for permission, because that's what we did in those days, are you okay? Um, Sifu Dan for me to go and train with this other person. He goes, yeah, definitely go. 
so I went and spent a few years training with him. I was the first, I don't know if he ever after uh, certified uh, a woman to advance instructor's level. Um, and I would go to Stockton. My friend Cliff Stewart and I would drive to Stockton. He oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dang. Cliff Stewart, yeah. How's Cliff, Cliff doing? Cliff is doing great. And he was, since Cliff Stewart, Larry Hartz, and myself were always like the three mm-hmm. that would hang out and train 1980 and on. And um, he would, I'd say, Cliff, want to go to Stockton? Come with me. I'd go, okay, here we go. I mean, who we, goes to Stockton? <laughs> you know, now drive. Stockton is very famous, not just about Angel, but the Diaz brothers. So Nick uh, Diaz, that's Nate Diaz, that's where they live. Like and so they're there. And then just so you know, Barbara, and yeah, for those who, small circle, Danny right? Anasanto was like the guy with Bruce Lee all the time. Okay. Very, very famous, very open to looking at different styles, as you mentioned, uh-huh. um, still alive and, and thriving to this day. Uh, who's now doing, I think he has a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all oh, kind of he's stuff. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's still 80, he's 83 and he's still traveling, teaching. Wow. He has a school. I went to visit him few months ago oh what would that be like I when mean, you walk in if they're cl- stop everybody <laughs> here. No, no, no. it's actually because they're doing a documentary on my life and i hadn't seen him in decades so they interviewed him and when they interviewed him they asked him it was kind of cool because they asked him well when's the last time you saw him? And he goes it's been a long time yeah and right then i walked in so it was kind of neat so we how reconnected cool and talked for a while and but he, I learned, I, I have to, I would attribute most of my learning from Dan Inosanto, the philosophy, uh, my mindset, how I think, how I, how I see martial arts. I learned some very valuable lessons from him. And, and one of them was to troubleshoot to, you know, the principle base. Really, he didn't call it principle based at the time, but, but I picked that up from him. And it's like, you know, we're like-minded. It's a lot of what he taught. I thought, oh, this makes sense to me. I like this. Mm-hmm. This is the way I think. So I was able to cultivate it. But then um, what I really liked about the, the Kabbalah system, it's that me being a smaller person, it was more combative. It was more close quarter. It was a shorter stick. And I really liked the explosiveness of it. Whereas That's what so I had been cool. learning before was more, I don't want to say flowery, but it was more fluid. And this it's a different dynamic. You know, in the Filipino martial arts, they all have different emphasis. Mm-hmm. And I really liked um, it being more combative. And at the time, I was doing a lot of executive protection work with uh, Cliff Stewart because um, he had his own company. And I needed things that were more street, more you know, quickly put somebody down and move and move on. So, oh my I gosh, really sounds so, so cool! So, I totally want to. Well, you know, this. if you if you go way back in time, uh-huh. and I mean that could be fifty years, hundred plus years, and tell me <clears> if I'm <throat> missing it on this. Some of the best security, like protection that you could purchase or people that you could have work with you oh right this like a bodyguard like a bodyguard aren't the big guys you see with floyd mayweather right now mm-hmm. it was the lady who appeared to be the secretary it was right. graciela right because they weren't expecting right. anything uh-huh. and then you go to grab the president and graciela oh i'm sorry i didn't know she knew how to do all that no kidding yeah, well, all right <laughs> low profile where you blend it yes the story would be high profile where I said no, both. And, and intimidating. Yeah. Okay, so two I more had, names for me. I got two more names. Uh, I know Barbara's biting up. She's got all kind of ideas. taking over. <laughs> no, I said I had some names. Uh, yeah. Bob Arum. Me, if you have nothing positive to say about someone, don't say anything. But I will say this. I got to fight on his shows. I was at the Olympic, and I... Um, watching another fight and um gosh manos de pierda uh, 
Duran was fighting one of my idols, and I was sitting wow. right there, and his, I was so excited because I got to hold his robe. I was in the corner, <laughs> and he handed me the robe. And I was fighting for Top Rank, uh, which was his company, and, and after I fought in Vegas, the crew, because what they would do is, the, I was kind of like the cleanup match, but they'd see his fight, they'd go, oh gosh, I want to get this on tape, and they would just catch the knockout. So after the third time, they said, next time we'll be ready for you and we're going to take the whole thing, which they did. So now I'm feeling like, okay, I'm being accepted. I'm at this fight. Bob Arum's there. They want to introduce me, you know, um, on camera. And they said, I'm sorry, but we can't. And I'm like, why not? And they said, well, Mr. Arum. And so I walked up to Bob Arum and I said, I've, I've been fighting on your cards. You know, they were going to introduce me. Uh, wh why not? Why can't I? I said, because I'm a woman. He said one word to me and turned away. He said, absolutely. Ooh. And this was before he was promoting women. He said it's right. disgusting to see women fight, but you know, it's oh. always the dollar that that wins. Eventually, I guess they saw that it would be profitable. Isn't that, that I? Was wow. my, that was my my interaction with him. But when you watched wow. it over the years, right? Because it goes from there. And when <laughs> I was working with Lucia Riker, getting ready for the biggest female boxing match of all time with her mm -hmm. and Christy, it was Bob Arum that was promoting that. It was oh. the million dollar lady, I think we were calling it at the time. So the, to have that experience and then to see the change. How many years passed? I was ahead since, of yeah. my time in terms of, you know, say it was a day late, Nick was short. I don't know. I mean, later they, they started fighting and getting on the fights, but by then I was retired. Yeah. So when you look at Clarissa Shields, two-time Olympic female boxer, mm -hmm. um, she's now like got all the belts, I think, in a few weight classes yeah uh and now she's talking about fighting layla ali i don't know if you heard about that I heard but layla's thinking about coming out of retirement go layla <laughs> i would love to work with do you layla think that'll happen i believe if anyone could do it i mean i think layla if anyone could do it it would be layla she's gonna get out and the i cooking think it, it would be it would be right now like she's 41 now would be the time to yeah. do it because yeah i think layla i mean i would be voting for layla and nothing against Clarissa, but of course I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Layla on that one. But when you look at that, do you like how do you really feel? Because you really led the way. I, you know, <laughs> it was a different time when we were fighting. I I can't allow myself to go there because you become bitter and resentful. Yeah. And I think you know I was fighting in the days. The resentment comes in when when you feel that they don't even acknowledge or know that you were existed. I was fighting when there were no weight divisions. You know, I was fighting where, you know, we really struggled to get any kind of acknowledgement. I was fighting when we were making a hundred bucks a round. And I never made I never made any money fighting. And then and the reason I continued fighting because when you're young, you don't really think about the money. At least I didn't because of my background. It was like, well, you know, making three thousand a fight, that's a lot of money in nineteen, you know, seventy something or um but you know, uh, Wide World of Sports caught up with me when I was living in West Virginia. I left this, I left California, and they were doing a piece on Christy Martin, on Layla, and on you know all the different fighters. And, uh -huh. and they made a comment, um, and this is the only real true acknowledgement that I I can say I've ever really received on an international level. Um, they made a comment that Christy Martin was complaining about making I think fifty thousand or something a, a, a fight, mm -hmm. and they were saying, but to boxers like Graciela Casillas, and they showed you know. They switched cool. to my fights, who never made more than a hundred bucks around. That would have been a lot of money. Yeah, and um, it went back at the end of the piece to Alex Wallow, who was at the ABC Sports uh, president for a long time, and he made a comment. He said during the seventies and eighties, there was a boxer that no one could touch, that he always felt badly for because she never got to really show her skill, and that was Graciela Casillas. Wow, and. 
I have that on tape. Yeah, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that's sports. awesome. And um, so never, you know, just wondering if do they even know, do they know that we were around? And I, w I am going to be inducted to the Boxing Hall of Fame in August in Las Vegas, but I mean, this is like 40 years later. And it's that's like incredible. you see, you know, people um, being acknowledged that haven't done quite as much or really... I'll just stop. Well, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm no, glad. I'm glad that it's happening. Um, I'm glad that you're alive and healthy enough to go to Vegas and enjoy the moment. Thank yeah. Um, I celebrate you. Uh, the last name, and then go for it, there, Barbara. Mm -hmm. And it's Don King. <laughs> Don King saw me fighting. Thought I was a, a guy fighting. Was really impressed with my skill. He found that I was a female. He had, flew me out to um, Vegas because we were going to talk about. Um, me fighting on his shows, and um, my trainer at the time was Hap Holloway, um, and it just never evolved after that. He wasn't quite ready to um, to put me on his show, so nothing at that time again. He was like, "Now, nah, never mind." So, well, that was my, huh? That was very interesting. All right, Barbara, what do you want to ask? I've about got Seattle? three questions. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, I think we can get through them pretty quick. So, the first one is. I, and what was, I guess, one of your worst injuries of all the fighting that you've done? What's your uh, worst injury? I have to tell you that fighting, I was never injured beyond getting my nose broken three, four times, which ha which was not a big deal if you were a professional boxer. <laughs> <Okay>. Wow. <Yeah. laughs> okay, not a big have, deal. I yeah, I broke my, my nose three times. I do times. have my worst injury. I can tell you what happened. I was moved, retired from boxing, mm -hmm. and but was still... The boxer in you. I was living in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. I found the boxing gym there. And of course, it was like an addiction. I went in. Yeah. Started training there. I was in a relationship at the time. <laughs> and my friend, friend was like a chess champion, U.S. chess champion. So he wasn't really into fighting. <laughs> and But I moved to Seattle. And so one day I was boxing and someone uh -huh. said, will you give my guy a few rounds? He's a little guy. And back in those days, they didn't make headgear the way they make them today. There's okay. no protection. So I had just a piece across here. Oh. So this, so this boxer hit me with an uppercut and caught me perfect. Now, I've already had two reconstructive surgeries after I retired just to put my nose back. You know, not to make it cute and all that, just to straighten it out because I had deviated septum. Uh-huh. And my nose, I could see the look on this little Italian trainer. Um, I could see the look on his face. My nose was on the side here. Oh. And I was more terrified of having to go home and explain what happened to me. That I said, fix it. Just fix it. No I don't way. Care what you do. No. And this was in the late 80s, and it was snowing in Seattle. Oof. He took an ink pen. Mm. He says, I can do, I know one thing we do that could fix it, but it's going to be very painful. I said, Ugh. I don't care. Just fix it. He stuck an ink pen in my ink pen in my nose, not the sharp the other side, and put it back. Ooh. Oh, oh! And I went outside. Fortunately, because it was nine drops, <laughs> like, now I just I, <laughs> <laughs> on my face. Wow! So I still have the leftover from that. Oh that my goodness! Nose. Oh man, they that's need to do tough. a movie about your life. Right. That's so that, that was probably the worst injury. Fighting, I never. Besides, you know. Yeah. Oh, don't ever complain, Barbara, about <laughs> I, anything. Dang, have your <laughs> oh nose adjusted my. with a pen. I mean, I can, my Ooh. mind is like, all right, just do it, do it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the adrenaline and the fear at that point. Was oh. like, what are you doing? You're not Woo. supposed to be boxing anymore. Oh, so. my goodness. Okay. So, and I, okay, that, that, that was great, see? 
And then, okay, so I was looking at your bio, and I'm like, this is so great. You have listed, I think there's at least three levels of Lethal Force Institute. I'm like, what do you learn at the Lethal Force Institute? The Lethal Force Institute was founded by Masada Yub, and Mm -hmm. I did... Got hundreds and hundreds of hours of training with him. It's all yeah. automatic weapon, not not just automatic weapons. It's firearms training, defensive tactics. Oh, okay. Um, so he's an office, a retired officer who works with civilians, mm-hmm. and with him, I would do also a work in, on court cases as an expert witness in issues relating to edge weapons, and um, wow. so he teaches private sector. That's you know, amazing. So have you then, with that, have you, because my brother, well, he's now retired, but he was with Oxnard PD for years and on the SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Did you do work with them as well? or Only, through, only in training. Okay. That's awesome. Oh, that's still nice. great. I know. And then there was one more. Okay, so my last question just has to do with, so growing up, because you said like with your family, like you, your siblings did this, you know, with you for a while, but then really it was just you that carried it through. Did you have like a... I don't know, a role model or somebody that you looked up to once you really got into the whole fighting scene that as a woman, because well, like you once said, I started fighting and I will say I have another brother, Arturo, who became a okay. black belt in Kempo. And I have another younger brother who through Wyoming high school got his, his black belt in judo okay. when they used to offer it at the school. But we never connected. They were doing their own thing and mm-hmm. I was gone. Um, the role model, my role model was Lily Rodriguez. When That's I right, Lily. Fighting, mm-hmm. Lily Rodriguez was another phenomenal fighter, and she was also Latina, who is Benny Urquidez's sister. Mm-hmm. You heard about Lily. I've heard, yeah. When you he met was. the other gentleman from uh, Andy. From yes, Australia. from Australia. Yes. Uh-huh. Lily was incredible, and I learned from her because there wasn't a lot of fights for women. Mm-hmm. And so people were, women were kickboxing, and she was boxing too. And I thought, wow, she's boxing one month, she's kickboxing another month, because you want to fight. You're training. Training for me in those days was a, my job. I would go to the gym every day. I would get up at, you know, 4.30, mm-hmm. meet the guys at Griffith Park and run every morning, the other boxers. Then you're at 10 o'clock at the gym. Then you sneak to the gym, the weight training gym, um, because at that right. time you weren't allowed to do weights, but, you know. I was trained with Vince Duranda, who was an iron guru uh-huh. um, in, in L.A. And um, so when I found out that she was boxing, I was thinking, well, all I have to do is keep my feet on the ground. And I started boxing. That's That was the reason I started boxing was watching Lily. But okay. she was just an incredible athlete, incredible human being. And Lily was um, an wow. um, awesome person. Mm-hmm. Um, blinky. You know, because when, when I... You know, and I know we got to close up, but yeah. it's so interesting. And, and I want to give people kind of insight to if, if Graciela and I were sitting down having coffee, just talking, yeah. uh, because we have some common friends and people that we've done work with over the years. But I grew up in a city called Anderson, Indiana, and a guy named Glenn Keeney was my martial art instructor. And his best friend was a guy named Bill Wallace, who oh, you Bill know very well. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I joined the Marine Corps, I ended up getting stationed at Point Magoo. Uh, he was like, hey, go and meet with Mr. Wallace. Because I knew Mr. Wallace since time I was like six. Because he would come around all the time. So now I grow up. Because Bill, remember Ross Scott? Mm-hmm. So Ross Scott was a guy that was from my where I was. He was a big guy. And we had these big fights. So here yeah. I am in California. Don't know anybody. I go to the Jet Center to meet Mr. Wallace. So I go in and I meet Benny, Yukitas, and Blinky. And Lily was so nice to me. Nice to everybody. Uh-huh. And... So I'm saying I'm bringing that up because this lady has been with you have been with legends, you know, 
and you're a legend, a living icon for the sport and for the work that you've continued to do. I, I feel honored and thankful that you're here. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you got a chance to meet I know, someone like yes. Graciela. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to get people there. I want to ask all of our people. This book is awesome. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to read it. Thank you. But hopefully, I don't know if this is for Barbara or we can share it. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll buy it's one. for me, yeah. Well, you know, the big thing yeah. is if you write a book, then, I mean, I want to pay for it. It's yeah, very important that you pay for the book. But yes. I want all of our people to get this mm-hmm. book because it's not just about learning how to box. It's about life. Yeah. Right. There's no photos in that book, so it's more focused on the psychological and the mental and right. some tactical. And when they want to lose weight, think mm-hmm. about it. This is a good book to give your clients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because more and more I'm getting a lot of feedback from people in our community who want to mm-hmm. lose weight and keep it off about us doing shows that touch on the mindset. Mindset, for sure. Uh, the the uh, A way of life, the philosophy, the psychology around following through. Like when you first started talking, I yeah. thought of... Kobe Bryant because you start to see that common thread absolutely Um, and and then of course for those who live in the 805 area code get over and train with this lady I know what an opportunity thank you yes for sure it it also makes me think of Flavor Flav what's that like what well I was bowling with him the other day but I think about like when when my daughters (laughs) met Flav for the first time Uh or when they meet like a Chuck D or different celebrities if they were here I go get a photo with Graciela yeah take a photo with Flav take a photo with Chuck D you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because when they grow up if they ever do any kind of research they're gonna be like wow like I was with this person I met Graciela Casillas yes so thank thank you you for being here I know thank Thank you you so much thank you it's been fun and as we share all the time Barbara I want you to end it when I I'm I'm gonna say two things and I want you to say the third part okay and that is to our audience and the people who tune in as always we want you to get healthy Mm-hmm. be healthy and stay healthy boom boom <laughs> <laughs> all right mission accomplished hello everyone this is robert ferguson and thank you for watching our show now be sure to like subscribe and click on the bell so that you are notified whenever we upload new shows again thank you for watching